I'm a huge planner. So whenever my wife, Radhi and I would go on our adventures, I'd meticulously plan out our itineraries and book our accommodations in advance. It's like a yearly tradition that we do. And let me tell you, Booking.com has been my go-to every step of the way. Whether I want to be a simple guy nestled in the countryside or be the stylish and modern guy in the heart of the city, Booking.com never fails to offer a wide range of options that perfectly suit your preferences and they have everything you need to turn your travel dreams into reality, offering accommodations here in the US. Plus, the ease of booking through the app makes the whole process a breeze. So trust me when I say, when it comes to planning unforgettable getaways, Booking.com is where it's at. Ready to book your next adventure? Book whoever you want to be on Booking.com. Booking.yeah. Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. 90,000 hours. That's approximately how much time an individual will dedicate to work in their lifetime. That's why it's more important than ever to partner with UKG, a company fully dedicated to helping you create a great place to work. With HR, pay, time and culture solutions, UKG is the only partner that delivers the tools and insights your employees need no matter who they are, where they work or what they do. See what UKG can do for your business and your people at ukg.com backslash great. UKG, our purpose is people. And if you don't want the spoiler, then turn off the podcast now. My parents sat me down um, and told me that... Please give it up for Kerry Washington. I am not a fantasy. If you want me, earn me. Behind the mask of these characters, I actually started being able to express more of my truth. My characters became this safe space for me to both hide behind, but also secretly reveal myself. Before we jump into this episode, I'd like to invite you to join this community to hear more interviews that will help you become happier, healthier, and more healed. All I want you to do is click on the subscribe button. I love your support. It's incredible to see all your comments and we're just getting started. I can't wait to go on this journey with you. Thank you so much for subscribing. It means the world to me. The best-selling author and host. The number one health and wellness podcast. On Purpose with Jay Shetty. Hey everyone, welcome back to On Purpose. I'm so grateful that you lend me your ears every single day, every single week. Some of you multiple times a day, multiple times a week. It means the world to me that you show up here because you know this is a place of happiness, healthiness and healing. And I try and have conversations here with individuals who are happy to be open, be vulnerable, to share the journey that they've been on. Some of it's full of successes and also failures. Some of it's full of identity reflections and introspection. And a lot of it goes into what they experienced growing up and how that's different from where they are now. My goal is to get as close to the human experience as possible so that each one of you who's listening and watching feels seen, feels heard, feels understood, and maybe can find a bit of yourself in these stories so that you can 
think about how you're going to make that next decision, that next choice, that next conversation or that next interaction in your life. Today's guest is someone that I met very recently, but we started talking a couple of months ago. And from the moment I spoke to her on the phone, her voice carried the energy of her <laughs> presence. And then when I got to meet her in person just a few days ago, it was like meeting someone who just oozes positive, good, sincere, genuine energy. I, I really mean that. I felt it from the moment I, I connected with her. And so I'm so excited today to introduce you, of course, to someone who doesn't need an introduction, but Kerry Washington, an <laughs> Emmy award-winning, SAG and Golden Globe nominated actor, director, producer, and activist. Kerry Washington has received widespread recognition for her role as Olivia Pope on ABC's hit drama, Scandal. In 2016, Kerry launched her production company, Simpson Street, whose projects include HBO's Confirmation, Netflix's American Sun, Emmy award-winning ABC special, live in front of a studio audience, The Fight, and Hulu's Little Fires Everywhere. In 2022, Kerry starred in digital interview series, Street You Grew Up On, on YouTube, which I just got to be a guest on, I'm so excited, <laughs> and scripted podcast, The Prophecy with Audible. And now today we're talking about Kerry's new book, her memoir, Thicker Than Water. I've had the fortune of having this book for the last couple of months, and I cannot wait for you to read it. I highly recommend you go and grab it right now. Please welcome to the show, Kerry Washington. Hi. Gary, thank you. Thank you. What an introduction. Well, you had to live it all. <laughs> you had to do it all. I'm so honored to be here. I feel like I've heard you do that introduction for so many <laughs> guests on the show. I'm like, he's talking about me now. <laughs> I, I mean it. It's just, you know, the reason I do it, and I think it's so important, is I think when you're living it, you often forget it. It's so true. It's and it so goes so true. fast. Mm -hmm. And... I think that you're recognizable for so many different things and so many incredible parts of your career and your activism, your production, your acting. And I'm glad that today we get to know the human behind all of that, yeah. which we do in this memoir so deeply. And I want to dive straight in. I want to ask you a question. What would you say is a childhood memory that stands out to you in that it defines a lot of who you are today? Oh, wow. What a great question. I feel like there are a lot of them in here, mm -hmm. but one, I have a lot of pride about being the first girl in my neighborhood to play All Sharks Under, which is that game we played at the pool in my neighborhood because, I don't know, I think I come from a a line of really brave women. You know, when I think about my grandmother being an immigrant and coming to this country from Jamaica and, you know, being a young woman looking at that Statue of Liberty and what it must have meant for her to take on that adventure. And I think about my mom and, you know, the career that she built and, you know, the education that she pursued and the risks that she took, even, you know, in terms of what I talk about in the book and and how she, how I came to be in the world. Um, and so I think, you know, being a little girl who was like willing to be one of the sharks, you know, willing to play with the guys, willing to jump into the deep end and challenge myself and be one of the big kids and uh, not be limited by my gender or my age or by the fear of, of what the game was or the depths of the water. I think that says a lot about kind of how I've lived my life, that willingness to swim in the deep end, mm, you know? Wow. Yeah. What, what do you think gave 
the women who came before you that courage, that strength, because I feel like a lot of the conversation around that has, of course, developed more recently, yeah. sadly. Mm -hmm. But you see these women who just always had this strength and resilience and power despite it not being given to them or mm, opportunities mm. not being shown to them yeah. what what do you think brought them through all of that it's funny because i think in a lot of ways like for women of color and black women in particular we haven't had the you know dare i say privilege of being like damsels in distress. No one was saving us. No one was rescuing us as black women, particularly, you know, with the diaspora and the history of slavery. We've, we've always been working women. We've always been resilient and strong out of necessity. And I think there's something about that that lives deep in my genetics, deep in my family history. I think we talk a lot about generational trauma and there's definitely some of that in my story and some of it I talk about. But but there's also generational courage and strength. And I think it's important for me to embrace both, to see both as being part of who I am. Yeah. And it's almost like in in a general sense, one can't live without the other. That's right. And and they kind of give birth to each other a little bit too, right? Like the trauma causes strength and the it's you you become a survivor and then you apply that wisdom. And I know that's true for me, that I, you know, there's things. I know that I am who I am because of the things that I've had to walk through. You know, I am as much who I am because of all the extra hugs and love and encouragement I got and because of the the adversity. You know, mm -hmm. it's all it's all part of it. Yeah, it's so beautiful to hear it like that too, to to look at it as non-binary. Yeah, 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 yeah. I do I it's funny when I was coming here to talk to you, I was like, "Oh, this is so different for me because I'm used to doing interviews to talk about like a television show or a movie. And I know, like, I know what that narrative is and I, I know what I'm selling. Right. But this is like, I'm not really selling anything. I'm, I'm really sharing and I don't have like an agenda for a, like a piece of content. I'm, I'm really just like offering myself. And so it's different. It's, it's a very different process and experience for me because I'm not translating my experience into a character's journey. Like I'm, I'm the, <laughs> I'm the character. Um, so I bring that up to say, I've been thinking a lot about the fact that there's a lot of complexity and it's not binary. There's, there's a lot of gray area. There's not like, there's no clear villain and there are no clear heroes and it's real life, you know? And so I think I'm, in talking about the book, I'm going to have to get really comfortable talking about those kind of complexities because it's just not, it's just not simple. Nobody's life is simple. Yeah. You know? Well, I think you do a really wonderful job in the book to elegantly and, you know, gently share it with everyone, mm, the, the complexities of it. And what I did is I have a few lines from the book that really stood out to me oh. and I'd love to discuss those okay with you, yes okay. of course because i'm like I, let me let me get comfortable here i'm gonna take my shoes off yeah. please take your shoes yeah, off be yeah. as comfortable as you like okay. you want to cross your legs yes, you want yes, whatever you like, want to oh, do boy, we're yeah. gonna read the book okay <laughs> i always find that the words that someone chooses and the vocabulary they have and the language they use to define experiences and of course i want everyone to know that we're only skimming the surface of what's in the book or all the details in the book. And I highly recommend you, you turn to the book for more of the context. Yeah. But I think this will give people a glimpse into the kind of 
places you go to okay. and you, you allow yourself to go to. So okay. one of the things that stood out to me in the book, and I'm, I'm reading here only to make sure I don't <laughs> misquote you. So you talk about how you suffered from panic attacks at age seven. Mm. And in your words, you say, I would force myself to try to have good thoughts. Mm. And I was just thinking, did you know what a panic attack was at seven? Were you aware? What did it feel like? Mm -hmm. And why did you try to say good thoughts? Like, why was that the solution? Mm -hmm. And what were those mm -hmm. thoughts? Mm -hmm. No, I didn't know. I didn't have the language when I was seven that it was a panic attack. It was later in life in my early 20s when I started having panic attacks again, mm. that I recognized that this was something that's been with me for a long time on and off through the years. And I realized I had been having them since I was that little kid. And it felt like dread pulsing through my body. Like, I know I described it as like this whirling, like a spinning, like a rhythm I couldn't control, like a rising heat, like a clenching in my throat a fear that felt like it was small enough to be in every little cell, but big enough to drown in, mm. you know? And I just, like, as I say that to you, I have so much love for that little girl lying in that bed without the language to describe it as I'm describing it to you, but still having to hold space for the experience of it. Mm. The good thoughts, you know, I, I think I sort of, I, I think I describe it that way in that moment as good thoughts because I was seven and there was good and bad, right? There wasn't the nuance of like, this is an opportunity or the, you know, it just was like, like <laughs> this imagine? feels bad, right? Yeah, like this yeah. feels really bad and I want to feel good. And I didn't, you know, I didn't know Louise Hay at that time. I didn't, I didn't know that, I didn't know about affirmations, but I just would, I knew the sound of music. I knew the that you could like think about your favorite things and maybe feel all right mm -hmm. and so i just tried to think about things that made me happy things that brought me joy or a sense of peace um and i would try to kind of shut out the panic and make the volume of the good things louder in my head and at 7 where were those negative or bad thoughts coming from like where was that panic coming from? What was the source of it? Yeah, I think a lot of it was, um, you know, I talk about hearing my parents arguing in the other room, but in general, there was this, um, this sense of, it's a big word and I, I'm going to say it and then contextualize mm -hmm. it. I think I, I felt unsafe. Mm. I was safe in a lot of ways. You know, I was very loved. We were you know, I was provided for materially. I was wanted. I was appreciated. I was encouraged. But I also knew, as I talk about in the memoir, that there were things, there was information that was being kept from me. I didn't know it consciously, but unconsciously I felt like, like I wasn't being given the full truth. Mm. And that created in me this, um, like a sense of distrust and of longing mm. for wholeness. Like something felt incomplete and unwhole. It's mm -hmm. not, it's probably not the right way to say it, but so I think the panic was me trying to navigate the fear of like, what don't I know? I don't even know what I don't know. I just know I, I don't have everything I need to feel safe. Mm. I'm really glad you gave that context because I think that Today, when we hear the word unsafe, we think it means physically. Right. And we think it means materially. Yeah. But it's so interesting that 
those things can be taken care of and you still feel an internal unease. Yeah, yes, a, a dis-ease. A like dis-ease, a, yeah. um, it was an emotion. I wasn't emotionally safe. Mm. I knew that. That's 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 what I knew somewhere deep down. Mm. And I didn't have a way to confirm it. I didn't even have a way to ask about it. Mm. It just was this feeling. And I didn't even know if I should trust the feeling, right? Mm. Because everyone was saying, it's all good. Everything's fine. Um, so I, I think that maybe a lot of the the panic was that I was from early on being asked to disconnect from my own sense of knowing. Mm, um, wow. You know, I was being taught from the moment I got to this planet, from the moment that I was born, I was being taught that I had to act as if the lie was true, mm-hmm. the lie of, of who my family was and how we came to be. So I didn't really, I didn't know, I, I didn't know what I didn't know, but I knew I didn't know something. Mm, yeah, and it's, it's so interesting, right? I think that so many of us feel that way, that our feelings when we were younger were not validated or acknowledged yeah. Yeah. and we weren't trained to do that. Mm-hmm. If anything, like in yours, we were taught to reject or yeah. abandon. Deny. Deny. Mm-hmm. And then they don't just go away because of that. They often come back in the future and we'll, we'll get to that, but they come back in so many different ways in our lives when you abandon your own truth yeah. at the beginning of your life. And it's, did you... Did you ever feel that you were able to reconnect? What helped you reconnect with that sense of knowing again Mm -hmm. in the future internally? Yeah. Because I feel like that's something that, like you can remember having knowing Mm -hmm. and then you can remember how you let it go. Mm -hmm. Most people I speak to feel like they never felt like they knew. And I don't think it's because they never knew. It's because- they let it go of it so early that we forgot that we knew. Yeah. If that makes any it sense. It does, it does. Yeah. I don't remember, I don't remember knowing and then not knowing, but I I remember learning that it was more important to play along than to fight for what I thought I knew. Mm. And then it was like, okay, it's the script that matters. It's mm. like the this performance of this perfect family, like that's that's the priority. Mm. And their feelings are more important than mine, whoever the they is. <laughs> and the they was like lots of different people throughout my life. Mm. But I think one of the first things, one of the first tools that helped to bring me back to myself was yoga. Mm. It was like the first, one of the first times that I remember being still in my body in Shavasana at the end of that first yoga class that I took in high school and weeping because I felt really like present in my body. Like I wasn't trying to escape or deny or quiet, or I was just like fully present in my body. And it was terrifying because I was like, I don't know if this is okay. It was different from how I was taught to be. Not not like didactically taught, but it was different from how I learned to be, to survive emotionally. How did that feeling transpire in other areas of your life? That desire of like, I'm going to perform, I'm going to put up what people need me to do. Like, did you find that manifesting in other areas of your life? Or were you able to kind of go, no, that was just with my family? And No, I mean, I got really, <laughs> I got really lucky because I found a career where I could perform, where I could like this superpower that I had to kind of shape shift and be whoever you needed me to be. I started knowing how to do that in an audition room and on a set and on a stage. And I realized there there actually was this place 
in life where performing was the true goal and it, it was okay to to want to be somebody other than myself and to want to step away from my truth to another person's truth. Like that actually led me to a really exciting, adventurous, abundant life. And then this weird thing happened where behind the mask of these characters, I actually started being able to express more of my truth, mm. right? Like in my life with my family at home, I couldn't necessarily be angry or express fear or insecurity. But if I was playing a character, I could have all of those big, intense feelings. And it wasn't threatening to anyone. It was actually rewarded. Mm. So my characters became like this safe space for me to both hide behind, but also secretly reveal myself. Mm. It's incredible how like something so stressful and uncomfortable turns into a talent, mm -hmm. but also a healing. Yes. Right? It's Truly. Like, yeah. I'm so grateful that um, that acting led me to be able to have more emotional vocabulary, more willingness to actually feel my feelings and express them. And I'm even grateful. I mean, it was how I stumbled upon acting is that, you know, my mother is a very stoic. She's so elegant. And like, she's really somebody who is not very expressive of her emotions because she's she operates from here and is very dignified and stoic. And so, you know, because God has an enormous sense of humor, she had this child and I was just like a walking id, just like <laughs> feelings all over the place. And God bless her because she's an educator rather than just say like, stop having feelings. She was like, you're going to go to this children's theater company. Cause mm. I, I imagine, you know, she was thinking, I don't know what to do with all these feelings. You know, as well as I know my yeah. mother, she was kind of like, I don't know what to do with you, but they'll know what to do with you. And so she, the amazing educator that she is, she led me to spaces where I could be expressive and energetic and emotional and she could applaud from over here and yeah. not have to wrangle. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah. And it's what I find so interesting when I was reading the book too, is just recently I saw that you mentioned how you I've always been trying to get away from acting there. Yes. And and that <laughs> these amazing opportunities keep coming your way. Mm -hmm. Explain that to us because I think what I what I love about this is kind of what we were talking about since the beginning of this interview, which is this texture and mm -hmm. this complexity, mm -hmm. which what appears to be a paradox. Yeah. But actually that's the human experience where you're like, I had this pain, acting was healing me, but now acting is something I've been trying to move away from. <laughs> <laughs> but it's okay that that's so walk up, walk me through the, the depths of that or the texture behind that of like, why, why is it something that despite it being so healing and powerful and a safe space to feel all of this, does it not feel like a forever home sometimes? I'm super interested to hear what you think about this yeah. because some of this is the tension between the pure art and craft of the work, the creative craft mm. of acting and storytelling and narrative. And um, I love that work. I always love that work. Even when it's really, really hard, I feel like what a privilege, what a gift. Mm. It feels like a, a true calling. I don't always love the business stuff. You know, I don't always love the rejection and the 
um, competition and the how hard it is to get something off the ground and get something produced and get something greenlit or like, I don't always love, I love the making of it. I don't always love the vulnerability of when it hits the airwaves and like the criticism and the ratings and the reviews. And, um, and so that it's like the, when I, when I want to leave is when it feels like the business parts of it, the, the kind of worldly material parts of it become too expensive to my soul. It just feels like I don't, I don't want to have to navigate all of that stuff. So I'm going to go find something else. It's like that great, you know, the, the Winston Churchill, Brene Brown quote about like being in the ring and, you know, what it is to be in the ring. And that's that beautiful vulnerability. And sometimes I'm like, I don't want to be in the ring. Like, <laughs> you know what, God, like you can have the ring. Like, I'm good. I think I want to be an observer and like, you know, be booing from the crowd for once. Like, not really. I'm not yeah, I'm a yeah. very generous viewer usually, but, yeah. but sometimes it's that. It's like sometimes the vulnerability on the business side feels like too much. Not the vulnerability on stage, not the vulnerability in front of the camera, but the the stuff outside of the creative craft. So that's mm. when, when that stuff feels like, oh, it's taking over and I'm spending more time thinking about how to win than I am about how to create, then I feel like I'm going to go do something else, something mm. that feels purer, like teaching kids or teaching yoga or, you know, something, all the other things I've tried to do. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then inevitably, you know, I'll read and right when, like, I remember I had, I mean, I really did not have money to burn. It was early in my career. And I was like, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. And I signed up for a yoga teacher training. I got certified to teach yoga when I was living in India, but this, I didn't have a certification in the States. And so I signed up for this very fancy Jiva Mukti yoga mm -hmm. in New York. I and, Sharon um, Gannon. Yeah. yeah. And so I was going to do their teacher training. I had just made my last payment. And then I read the script for Ray. And I was like, holy, <laughs> like, I have to do this movie. So that's what, that's what happens always is I, I get to the edge of like, eh, and then something beautiful calls me in, something that feels like it's worth mm. the work of the material mm. stuff, the BS, the, or just like the adulting, like mm. all the, you know, all that mm. stuff. It's worth that to be able to go back to that play and that mm. creativity and that, that stuff where I feel like my soul gets to be of service in a narrative. Mm. I think you're speaking the language of, every true artist and creator who feels that <laughs> yeah. in a way that they may not even have tried to push as far as you have. Like you're mm. someone who's achieved the peak of your creative endeavors, right? You've made incredible box office films like TV, like yeah. you've, you've won in, in that sense, I mean, in your art. Yeah, sort of. And, and I, I mean, in the, in the external yes. material, like in the sense of like, you're someone who's- But you see what I mean? Like yeah. when I say sort of, it's because like there are awards I haven't won. Yes. There are awards I haven't been nominated for. There are like certain people who've made more money at the box mm -hmm. office, the whole different record. It's like, and that's a little bit of the part of what I do that I don't love. Right? Like mm -hmm. I remember an acting teacher saying to me once, no matter what he does, mm. Tom Cruise is never going to be Tom Hanks. Mm. He's never going to have like three years in a row, back-to-back -back Oscar nominations. He's never going to have that. Like he can have Born on the Fourth of July, but he's not going to be, he's not going to have 
Tom Hanks's career. And guess what? No matter what Tom Hanks does, he's never going to have Tom Cruise's career. He's never going to have back-to-back Mission Impossibles and like hold all the box office records and 30 years later be able to make another Top Gun (laughs) and have it be the (laughs) nominated for Best Picture. Like they have different careers, but neither is less valid. Like they're both winning. They've Mm. both won. And that's part of the challenge for me is like how to accept that Mm. this journey, my journey is the journey. It doesn't have to look like anybody else's. It doesn't have to measure up according to anybody else's standard. And I think for a long time, because I wasn't comfortable with myself, because I didn't really know my story, and so I wasn't really living my story, I always felt like I was the co-star in somebody else's story, whether it was at work or at home or whatever, that writing this memoir was a little bit about, like, I got that missing puzzle piece that helped me put myself at the center of my story. And then I was like, I want to do the work to write that. I want to do the work to know what it feels like to center myself so that I can make sure that in this lifetime, I'm living my story and not chasing somebody else's. I couldn't be more excited to share something truly special with all you tea lovers out there. And even if you don't love tea, if you love refreshing, rejuvenating, refueling sodas that are good for you, listen to this. Radhi and I poured our hearts into creating Juni Sparkling Tea with adaptogens for you because we believe in nurturing your body and with every sip, you'll experience calmness of mind, a refreshing vitality, and a burst of brightness to your day. Juni is infused with adaptogens that are amazing natural substances that act like superheroes for your body to help you adapt to stress and find balance in your busy life. Our Super 5 blend of these powerful ingredients include green tea, ashwagandha, acerola cherry, and lion's mane mushroom, and these may help boost your metabolism, give you a natural kick of caffeine, combat stress, pack your body with antioxidants, and stimulate brain function. Even better, Juni has zero sugar and only five calories per can. We believe in nurturing and energizing your body while enjoying a truly delicious and refreshing drink. So visit drinkjuni.com today to elevate your wellness journey and use code on purpose to receive 15% off your first order. That's drinkjuni.com and make sure you use the code on purpose. Wow, you're speaking to everyone's soul right now. <laughs> Everything you're saying, I'm like, oh, like it's and it, and it shows, right? I think when when we feel like we can really understand someone we don't know or mm, someone we mm. haven't spent a lot of time with, it means that they understand themselves uh, because we're, yes. you know, when you're- sp- we're at that like humanity, that like naked truth of just what it means to be human. Exactly. Right? Like yeah. I'm listening to you going, wow, I think everything you just said, like, I think every creative person I know has expressed some part of that to me. Mm. I think there's parts mm. of me that have grappled with that. And if you if you don't mind, I'd love to offer you what you asked for earlier and you were saying you'd yes. love to hear my thoughts yes. on Yes, both as a coach, but also as somebody who, because um, I feel like I'm here, I should get free coaching, but also <laughs> as somebody who um, who is navigating the, the combination of the material world and the spiritual world and, and you know, living in both of those spaces. Yeah, so from a from a coaching or even spiritual perspective too, because all my coaching is is of that yeah. type. So the Sanskrit word for this is dharma. And dharma very loosely can be put to purpose, but really what dharma is, is almost like an inherent calling that you can't separate from yourself. It is so 
in deep alignment and centered with who you are at the core, mm. that even if you try and push it away, it just it keeps, keeps pulling you back, you. no matter mm-hmm. no matter what that is. And that isn't an activity, like it isn't a title. Like mm. I think today we think of like purpose or passion as a job mm. or a- right, Like CEO is not a dharma. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> CEO or actor or actress right, or, right. or podcaster mm-hmm. or author, is that's not your dharma. It's like you're an- artist who expresses yourself through many different ways. You've written an amazing memoir, you've done TV, you produce, you tell stories, you know, you have a, you have two interview shows, podcasts and scripted, like those are just mediums. And, but what I'm getting to is that there's a part of you where performance and the expression of emotion through performance is so core to what helps you heal and live and Mm, breathe mm, mm. in whatever way it is. It doesn't always have to be in a TV or a film. There's some part of you that loves to express and loves to feel in that way. And you can probably define it better than me. And what I've found is that we're always trying to escape that Mm. because usually in the same way as you're saying, because of the business aspects that make it seem dirtier, murkier, Uh, less pure, uh because it comes from such a pure place. Right. It's not coming from the place of wanting to win. Right. It's not coming from the place of wanting to be the best. It's coming from the place of like- Service. Service. This just needs to get out. Mm. And that's something that I've found that it's really hard to shake that because it's almost like God, the universe wants you to use that in the service of others. Mm -hmm. And so- I've I've rarely found so I've not found anyone I think that's been able to extract their dharma from themselves mm. because it is inextractable. Mm, like it's it's you, it's you, and it's, it's what, your spiritual identity. Yeah, it sounds it's, like it's it's your it's almost like what would be considered your spiritual offering in the material world. Mm. It's what connects you to that spiritual world in the material world. Because without huh. it, and again, by the way, this is not a, I'm just calling it out. This is specific to Kerry and this is different for everyone. If you did give that up and you went off and tried all the other things, which you've obviously tried, yeah. so you already know yeah. this. I don't even need to tell you. You can try it. And it's not that that isn't fulfilling. It's just that there's this thing that just keeps, keeps pulling you back. It's like the, the boyfriend you can't quit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just the spiritual boyfriend you can't quit. That's my dharma. I love it. Yeah, I think for me, it might be some sort of, um, there's something about the expression of emotional truth. Mm. It feels like my dharma is connected to holding space for emotional vulnerability or emotional truth. And I think in some ways that's why I grew up in a family where truth was kept from me because it's like I developed like a heat-seeking missile for like, I'm going to find the truth. I'm going to know what it looks like. If I can't express it here, I have to express it here. It was like it was kept from me so that I would learn to cultivate it and honor it and hold space for it. And I like I think about even when I'm working as a director, often my note to an actor in a scene is like, I just I don't believe you yet. Mm. Right. Like I I want to believe you wow. more. And I think there's something about like I survived um a childhood where I learned what truth doesn't look like 
And so I'm really aware of what it does look like now. Mm. And I, it's, it's so important to me. Yeah, that's, no, that's so powerful. And it's, uh, it's almost like that, that's the acceptance that, you know, even I've had to make, like, I think for me, it was on a very deep level, the business or the systematic approach to art, which you have to take if mm, you want your mm. work to scale uh-huh. or you want your work, like you're saying, the to discipline, re- the discipline of it or the business, the business of it, mm-hmm, as you're saying, mm-hmm. the parts that we don't enjoy, right, like right. the is actually what, at least from a very Eastern spiritual perspective would be like, that's the stuff that purifies you mm. of the ego that comes from art. Ah, yes, of course. Of course. It's, I mean, it's funny because then when you say it, it's like, yes, this is what you learn in the ashram, right? Like this is what you learn in a yoga practice that like, you don't get to have the transcendent moment at the end of practice sitting in meditation until you do the 20 sun salutations. Like they get you there. They (laughs) open you up. They, they get you closer. It's the, it is the discipline that makes room for the the goodness. If we just like woke up out of bed and were immediately transcendent without any discipline, we probably, I, I would probably be a pretty horrible person to be around. I'd be like, I'm amazing. <laughs> Everything comes so easily for me. Yeah. Or, or the opposite where we end up in complete like dullness and uh, ruin where we're like, it doesn't work and I can't do uh, anything. And I, and, and it's, it's either or. Mm-hmm. And, and I find that when you have to reflect on the competitive aspect and purify that desire mm. to be competitive, it gets you closer to your truth. Yeah. When you have to sit in it and go, I don't care if I'm not Tom Cruise, I'm happy being Tom Hanks. I don't care if I'm not Tom Hanks, I'm happy being Tom Cruise. Mm-hmm. That is the purification of getting you closer yes. to your truth. Whereas if you never had to do that activity, mm-hmm. you almost could live in ignorance oh, and ignorance is bliss. Well, yeah. if that makes sense. I'm, yep. Again, I'm not saying I agree with how it's all done or run. I'm saying that's how I think you're trying to operate as a, as a warrior in a, on a war field, as, as you know, like you're, you're relishing the battle of it mm. because you notice that the battle is actually forcing you to go more inward. Right. Because if you lived it outwardly, mm. it's just too much. Yeah. If that makes any sense. It does. At all. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Anyway, but hmm. so we, we, we got lost on that. Yeah. But no, I, I really appreciate where we're going with this conversation because I do think that that I think all of us are caught within that battle for the truth in our own lives and our own truth in different ways. Yeah. This this was interesting to me because I'm I'm also picking out things that I think a lot of our community and audience can Great. like. So there's one thing that said being busy is one of the ways mm-hmm. I create a sense of safety and control during times when I feel there is none. Mm. When I read that, I was like, wow, like, I, I, the amount of people that I know. <laughs> to every is, workaholic out there. <laughs> literally. And, and it's, it's hard to even become aware of that because there's joy in that. And there's, That's right. how have you allowed yourself to become less busy? Have you allowed yourself to become less busy? Or, or what has that awareness led to? Yeah, I, I do. I feel like it was, in, this was a, the period that I wrote this book, you know, what happened was about five years ago, my mm-hmm. parents gave me some new information. I want to talk about that. Yeah, about kind of, about me and, and our family and, and how I came to be. Um, and it, that new information kind of turned my world upside down. And 
it came at a really interesting time in my life because I was just ending seven seasons on this like crazy successful hit show playing an iconic character. And um, I was in many ways asking like, who am I now? But I did have this fantasy that when that show ended, I would suddenly have a lot of free time because that show I was filming 16 hours a day, you know, I don't know, nine, 10 months out of the year. And I was, you know, within the life of that show, I got married and had two children and now I had three children and my husband came with one. And it was just like, there was no downtime. And I thought when the show ends, I'll have some downtime. And I remember like a year after the show ending, I was like, oh, I might be the problem. Like, I don't think the show is the problem because I still have no downtime Mm -hmm. and I am not the number one on the call sheet of a hit primetime drama, but I was finding other ways to fill my time and still finding moments where I was feeling overwhelmed and overworked. And um, so I really started to think about how I, if I was the problem, if I was the common denominator, if I was the issue, then how could I also maybe be the solution? And I think the truth is I do, I do love to be busy, but I am trying to check the intention of what that busyness is about. Mm. So making sure that I'm not saying yes to things because I just want to be in a constant state of cortisol (laughs) spikes and, Mm -hmm. you know, not getting enough sleep and just feeling like I'm on a hamster wheel because then I don't have to deal with some other stuff. I'm trying to have the yeses come from purpose and passion and to have more no's to say no more often so that there's room to say yes for things that make me feel not busy, but driven and generous and like I'm contributing, Mm. you know, not just accomplishing, but really contributing, Mm. giving of myself. Mm. And I think that that feels like a a tough, tough thing to do when you've been such a high performing person Mm -hmm. for a long, long time. And all of a sudden you have to reevaluate what performance means yeah, and what high performance means. Yes. And even start to redefine what success means, right? Mm-hmm. Like I think it's like we say to these corporations, like your success can't just be about the bottom line. Like, are you also thinking about diversity and inclusion? Are you also thinking about the environment in your bottom, you know, in your definition of success? And I feel like I'm trying to do that personally also, like think about success in the material world, but factor into that success my life as a wife, my life Mm. as a mother, my life as a daughter. Mm. And I think that too was part of what made me want to write the book was to kind of be able to have the narrative of my life Mm. really reflect on all of it. Because when I sold a book idea, a few, right when the show ended, I sold this book idea that was like, here are the 10 things I learned about life from this character. Mm. And my parents had just given me this information about myself, but I I was like, I'm not going to deal with that. I'm going to go sell this other book idea. And um, and that felt like a book I could write because it was not really about me. It was about the character. And it was like very sticky, cute, life lessons kind of a book. But every time I sat down to write, it that didn't feel honest. Mm-hmm. It was like, I have this new information. I have this new curiosity. I have this new awareness. And if I'm going to write something about myself, then it has to be that. And I was like, well, I'm not writing that. So I tried to give the money back to the publisher and was <laughs> like, I'm definitely not writing that. Um, but eventually I did. Eventually mm-hmm. I was like, what if I just try to write that? If I try to write what the story is, not just in terms of the movies and the TV shows and the even not just the activism and the leadership, but really like 
what it might mean to feel like a successful human, like somebody mm. who's living in truth, you know? Mm. Do you want to share, and I know the book goes into this in depth, do you want to share, because you've referred to it a few times, yeah. like the news that you received at 43. Yeah, yeah. And obviously you talk about it at length in a book, but I, I'd love to give that to people so that they have sure. a context. Yes, and if you don't you want the spoiler, then turn yeah. off the podcast Yes, now. this is the moment. It is a reveal, to, yes. so if you and, don't and it, want it, yeah. And I, and, that's, and I recommend that too, like, yeah, don't, if just, you don't just skip know over that. the next... <laughs> Skip over the next three minutes. I'm such a fan. Uh, I know that like you have those time codes at the bottom. So just skip to the next We'll put that on the time code. We'll put skip now if, (laughs) spoiler alert. Yes, okay. There we go. So so my parents sat me down um, and told me that... um, that my dad is not my biological father, that I was born from a sperm donor. Um, And this was shocking to me and also not, right? Like it, it was that thing of like, I was shocked because it was not the story I had been told and not the story we had been living, but also it made so much sense to me because there had been this sense of like, I felt like I didn't know myself and I felt a disconnect with my parents and I felt a disconnect with myself. And I never knew what to ascribe that to. I never knew why. And suddenly it it was like the pieces all fell into place. It was actually like, it was like there had been this beautiful puzzle on the wall of our home that had this one wrong piece in it, but it was close enough that everybody just pretended that the painting was perfect. You know, everybody was like, it's gorgeous. It's beautiful. If you got close enough, you could see Mm -hmm. that there was a missing puzzle piece. But since we all ignored it, we all kind of forgot about it. And when my parents told me, it was like somebody finally took that wrong puzzle piece that had been like jammed into place and pulled it out. And we got to all be honest about like that piece was wrong. And we don't even know what the missing piece is because I don't know who the donor is. Mm. But at least now the on- the painting is honest. Mm. And I can maybe try to find that missing puzzle piece. But even just to know that the painting now is honest mm. felt like a gift. And why did they wait till 43? <laughs> like why? I think I was younger than 43 even. I was like, oh, was it? yeah, okay. like 41 maybe. Mm. Um, I mean, my dad, if he had his druthers, would have never told me, which is in many ways like infuriating, but also so beautiful because to my dad, I am his and he is mine. And there's no point in acknowledging any other truth. I mean, even to today, he'll, he acknowledges it. He's had to come to terms with it, but it doesn't matter. And in a really beautiful way, like I am his and he is mine. He is my dad. He will always be my dad. Um, but if he had his choice, we would, you and I would not be having this conversation. This book would not be written. Like we would, this would be, we would just be living in this other reality that, which is, you know, I'm his, and uh, that we belong to each other, which is true. It's just, there's more complexity, right? There's more nuance. There's, it's not a binary. It happens to be that like, yes, we belong to each other. And there is this other figure that is 50% of my genetics. <laughs> they waited to tell me, my mom said that she was going to write a note for me and leave it in a safe deposit box so that eventually when they were gone, I would have this truth. I'm so glad that that's not what happened. I also wonder like when she was going to do that because 
at the point that we were having this conversation, she had had cancer three times and was like knocking on 80. So I was like, exactly when was this (laughs) note going to happen? Right. Um, So I think, I think it was hard. I think they didn't intend to be duplicitous or they weren't trying to lie to me. I think they, it happened at a time. I mean, my parents were way ahead of the curve. There were no, you know, when I was conceived and 77, 76, there were no sperm banks. This was not something that people did. It was like a highly experimental, very secretive thing. There was no frozen sperm. It was like, you know, it was all very, very cutting edge. And um, they were innovators and ahead of their time and risk takers. And nobody knew that 40 years later, you'd be able to take a DNA test and know where you come from. It just was like, this is a secret we will take to our graves. Mm-hmm. There's no point in telling her. We need to keep our family unit together and we don't need to upset her and um, we don't need to embarrass our family. And they eventually told me because I was going to do a show, Skip Gates has a show on PBS called Finding Your Roots, where they research your family background. And um, they do it a lot through record keeping and census reports, but they also do DNA tests. And so I told my parents I was going to do the show and they were really excited. And then I handed them one of these commercial DNA kits and my dad started having panic attacks. And I was like, what's happening? And and so eventually they Mm -hmm. had to tell me why they didn't want to do the show and, and what the truth of our family history was. Yeah. 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 How have you trained yourself to be able to, I love what you said earlier. You were like, he wouldn't have told me if it wasn't, you know, for this, but you would have found it infuriating, but also the most sweet and beautiful (laughs) thing. And it's like, how have you allowed yourself to accept two things existing at the same time? Because Mm. there's a beautiful statement by F. Scott Fitzgerald, where he says that, the paraphrased version is that, you know, one of the greatest skills or talents of the human mind is the ability to hold two seemingly opposite mm. ideas mm-hmm. and allow them to coexist. Yeah. And that's such a, I feel like that's the art that's missing in the world today. Yeah. The ability to accept that something can be painful and beautiful, yes. that something can be true and untrue in certain mm-hmm, ways that mm-hmm. and it feels like even though you were like looking for this truth and this puzzle piece and you have every reason because you've known it for your whole like it's mm-hmm. so deep like you make it look so elegant but inside your heart from what you struggle it was such yes. a struggle to be mm-hmm. like what is this one thing what is wrong with me and the, what's wrong with my life and yeah. what is the secret and yeah and then you find it but then you still go you have the grace to say I understand like he is my he is me and I am his like that beautiful statement that you just repeated twice there I'm just what has allowed you how have you developed that ability to let two truths coexist I don't know where it comes from It comes from. throughout the book I see That's it throughout so the book That's so interesting I don't know where it was born I mean I do know I think maybe one of the first places that I started to think about it consciously again, weirdly, was in my yoga practice, right? Mm. Because you learn in yoga practice that you must have this combination of being um, steady and strong, but also flexible and yielding, that that's the very practice of yoga only works if you can tap into the surrender of each pose combined with the commitment and strength for each pose. So that's one of the places where I think I started to learn what that feels like in my body and and think about it. But, you know, as I'm sitting here, even just my commitment to say and to help my dad say, 
it's okay for me to have two energies in my life that represent father, right? Like that this donor, this stranger, I have no idea who this person is. There's a whole team of people on the search, but I, I don't know who this donor is. That that, But that person, because of the amount of genetic material that they've poured into me, and therefore all kind of coding, that person represents some of the father energy in my story and in my life. But my dad is my dad, right? Like he's also he represents the father energy in my life. He is the man who raised me and he has loved me like a father and he is also father. So, you know, even just like, there's no way for me to live my life without embracing those truths. Mm -hmm. It just is the fact of my life. Maybe there's something about also like giving myself to these characters and like any one time having to be like, a hundred percent that character and also a hundred percent me, mm-hmm. um, that dance between like losing mm-hmm. myself and mm-hmm. coming back to myself and having space to be Carrie, but also Olivia or yeah. whoever that might be part of it too. I don't know, but, but yeah. I do, I know that at times I've seen this as a weakness that I, that I'm not more decisive or more, um, have more critical thinking skills. Um, but I, I do think it it's, it is just a part of me that I hold on to multiple truths. Yeah, I, I would say that it. my humble observation just from our conversation and reading your work is that your quest for the truth has actually ended in finding truths. Oh, yes, right. Like, like, right, because right. that's it, that's yeah. right, right? Like yeah. my, I, I feel like I'm finally able to tell my truth, but there's also this awareness as I sit across from my parents that like, this is not the book they would have written mm. and their book is no less true. Mm-hmm. It's just, that's their truth and mm. this is mine. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, oh, that's interesting. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Atna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com forward slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Atna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Life can be a wild ride, and sometimes our gut gets thrown off track. So that butterfly in your stomach, it's probably not from excitement. It's more likely from stress or certain food choices you had for breakfast. And Ritual can help you get things back on track. They made a three-in-one supplement with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Every morning, I start my day with Symbiotic Plus. It's now an essential part of my daily routine. With its blend of prebiotics, postbiotics, and all that good stuff, I'm giving my gut the love it needs to tackle whatever comes its way throughout the day. There's no shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com forward slash Shetty. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com forward slash Shetty. 
for 25% off. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash on purpose to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash on purpose. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Yeah, and it's like that core of just being, I don't know, there's something beautiful in in seeing you find your truths and, and being like, oh, there's there's actually so many more and, <laughs> and there's so many versions. And and that almost is more comforting and and kind of reassuring that the version you have is not untrue as you were saying earlier at the beginning you were like i was taught to like abandon my truth that's right because it, again someone had said this is the truth that's right the uh, because the other truths were too threatening correct it's funny i talk in the book about how when my parents told me you know i had spent my whole life saying i love you to my dad and it was true i loved my dad before this revelation but when i got this information in that moment, I understood that this was an opportunity for a different kind of love between us because mm. he had only heard me say, I love you on the condition of a lie up until that point. Mm. Up until that point, every time I said, I love you, it was passing through this veil of pretending. Mm. And so there was a part of his unconscious that was made to believe because she thinks I am her biological father, she loves me. Mm. And once I had this truth, mm. I knew I now have the opportunity wow. to show my father what it feels like to actually be loved unconditionally. From this point on, every time I say I love you, it's despite this truth that you thought was too horrible to bear. That just hit me. That that <laughs> it felt like such an opportunity that, for yeah, healing, part, you know, yeah. for us to be in the messy truth and still say I love you is so much better than to be in the pretending mm -hmm. and to be loved. Because when you're pretending and you're loved, then you're loved for your pretense. You're not loved for your humanity. And you can just imagine what that felt like to him. Even. Yeah, that's it's oh, wow. That everyone's just got to replay that part again and again and again because no. That's the part you want, no spoilers in that part. Just listen, because that is such a, that is such a beautiful point, Gary. Like that is, that is so powerful. It's what, what we you all deserve, said. right? It's like we, it's what we all crave, I think, is to be able to like be our true selves and for that version of us to be loved. Mm. Not the, the version where we put on the fancy clothes or we, it's like me at my most naked, most honest, most vulnerable if I'm still loved then, then that's real love. Yeah. If I have to work or to deserve the love, then it's it's not based on me, mm. you know? Mm. Yeah, because you said in the book, before we got onto that, was, 
going to read these parts where you talked about when I started talking about my family and therapy for the first time in college, my concerns and complaints were exclusively about my dad. Mm-hmm. And you talk about how different we were, how often we disconnected. And you said like many 18 year olds, I thought I knew everything and my dad do nothing, which is so true. <laughs> yes. And then you go on to say, even as a young child, I felt that I was never who my dad needed me to be. Mm. I knew he really wanted a son and that they weren't having any more children. I got the sense that I could soften the blow somehow by being a daughter who was prettier or smarter or braver or more successful, but even that didn't work. Mm. What, what do you think that wasn't working? What's that part like? I think what I was picking up and interpreting as me not being enough was really the disconnect between us caused by lack of truth. There was always like a moat, an emotional moat between who I was and who my parents were. Like I would watch my mother interact with girlfriends of mine, friends I would bring home from school, and people would tell my mother everything. People were so close to my parents. And I always felt like there was a little bit of arm's length. Um, And so, you know, as a kid, I thought that must be me. It must be that I'm not good enough or pretty enough or successful enough or thin enough or whatever it is, accomplished enough. And so I thought maybe if I'm better, if I do more, if I accomplish more, if I'm busier, then maybe I'll be able to cross the moat. But the moat had nothing to do with me. The moat was their own protection because, you know, I realize now in hindsight, I would say like so many people are like best friends with their mothers. They talk to their mothers every day. My mother could never afford to be best friends with me because There was a secret that she was never going to reveal to me. You can't be intimate best friends with somebody who your fundamental truth of who they are, you're keeping that from them. So I was interpreting this emotional distance as being my fault, as being me not being good enough. But really it had to do with them trying to manage the relationship so that they could protect me from something that they thought I wouldn't be able to handle or just that would kind of destroy my sense of self or our sense of family. So it was this loving act on their part of trying to keep me okay and keep our family okay, but it it did cause this this break and this schism between us and I just I thought I thought I could fix it. I thought if I could be better I could fix it. And it was in learning the truth of this revelation that I was able to say like no I'm I'm okay, I'm enough. It wasn't about me. Mm. And now, now I talk to my parents every day. Like now it's a different, the greatest gift of this, these few years, and even writing this book is that I am so much closer to my parents than I have ever been before, because now there's nothing to hide from each other. There's nothing to, there's nothing we're trying to protect each other from anymore. There's no more performance. There's no more pretending. And so now the intimacy is so real. Yeah. And it's almost like you, you want that for everyone, but you know how hard it is it's to get work. there. It's work. Like, it yeah, was, it's... it was, you know, we went into family therapy for a wow, while. Yeah, we, that's um, yeah, all four of us, my parents and my husband and I, we, we would, we like unpacked a lot of this together and to be on the other side of that, it's extraordinary. You know, I talk in the book about how in, during the pandemic, my mom was diagnosed with cancer again. And this time around, how I was able to be present for her and with her because there was no longer an arm's length. There was no longer this moat between us. It was the greatest gift to really be able to feel like I I now 
in this moment when we're faced with mortality, like I really know her and she really knows me. And I know myself now to bring myself to this relationship fully. It just, it was the greatest gift. Mm. And it almost feels now that if you are to continue playing roles and performances that you know who you are already. So you couldn't lose yourself in a role or. Yeah, I think there'll be, I'm excited. I've had, I've taken on different characters since getting this information and it feels like I'm able to go deeper. Mm. It feels like I'm able to bring more of myself and my truth. I'm more connected to myself and I'm, it's, it's been, it's allowed me to really have a deeper level of emotional truth. That's what I think about when I watch certain performances, mm. you know, in the last five years, I think I'm able to bring more courage, more, mm. more personal knowing, more vulnerability, because I'm not operating out of fear anymore. Mm. I'm not looking to these characters to fix me or to teach me about myself. I'm actually able to devote myself to them fully. And I've thought a lot about, um, it's so funny because when you're interviewing, you'll see eventually when you're interviewing for all these schools with your kids, <laughs> they'll ask you like how the kid was born or like the circumstances of their birth, like to enter into like a preschool. You're like, what are you talking about? And like, <laughs> why is that any of your business? They're here to learn their ABCs, right? Yeah. But there's so much imprinting that happens to us in utero. And- I do think it's so powerful for us to go back and uncover the story of who we are and how we came to be. It's why, you know, street you grew up on, it's like that, like, what is your once upon a time? And I thought about it a lot in thinking about my story, because I think I've thought like how afraid my mother must have been. Here this woman was like carrying a baby that she had no idea. She had no idea where the sperm came from. Back then there was no fancy catalog to tell you like what college they went to or what, like nothing. Yeah. The two things they said to her doctor were like, we'd love him to be healthy and we'd love him to be black. Because mm -hmm. if he was black, then they wouldn't have to tell people. It could remain a secret. Um, but she must have been terrified. And she knew also, like as she was carrying me, she began carrying a secret that she was going to carry for four decades. <sighs> and so wow. I was like, my twin was shame. Like I was in utero with shame. We were growing together, like in this pact of secrecy. And she literally never told a soul. My parents, lit not, she's, she has four sisters. She just told them this year, this spring. Um, she never told her best friend. She never told anyone. They, they are literally telling people now because they're like, listen, this book is coming out and I want you to hear this thing from me. Mm. So that fear and shame that was growing inside her, that was the soup that I was stewing in, you know, mm. that I was cooking in. And I, I think we get born with, with those with that identity and, and we get to navigate it. Yeah. You know? no, thank you for sharing that part too, because it makes sense with when you said you wished you were not an only child and your parents responded, you were long wished for a child. Mm. You were not easy to conceive. And like that idea of just, it's that beauty of they wanted you so bad. You like see, even like yeah. I joke about my dad's, you know, his unwillingness to deal with the truth of how I came to be, right? Like it's so beautiful, not just because it's a testament of how much he loves me, but when my parents sat down across from that doctor, they said, 
you have two options. Looking at my dad's sperm, you have two options. You can either adopt or you can try this new thing, artificial insemination, right? And it was my dad's ego. It was their desire to keep a secret that made them choose artificial insemination over adoption. Mm. So if my parents hadn't had that ego, if my dad hadn't been navigating his pride, I literally wouldn't be here. There'd be some lucky kid who would have been adopted by them and raised by this beautiful couple and all the stuff they were navigating, but it was actually their pride and secrecy that put me on this earth. So I have to be grateful for it. I have to be grateful for their stuff, their, you know, the the emotional stuff that they're navigating because it it was my pathway to being on this planet. Mm. Well, I find that I said this to you when we met the other day, when we did um, The Street You Grew Up On, yeah. which which I really felt was such a gift. And oh, if anyone you. who's listening or watching, I'm sure you watch already, but if you haven't, go and subscribe to uh, Kerry's YouTube show because I found it to be such a gift to go back there. Mm-hmm. You've written a memoir now, so you've yeah, really I've gone really back I've really gone there. back, yeah. I've, I've never written one, but I find the act of going back there, like you reminded me of so many things mm-hmm. that I completely forgot. Yeah, it was so fun to watch you have these revelations <laughs> about where you come from. So many things yeah. that you just, your memory is such a fascinating thing in and of mm-hmm. itself. But... I said this to you that day when I saw you and and I'm repeating it now because I want my, I said it offline to you, but I want my community to hear it. I found your take on your challenges so refreshing and unique because you'd be valid in just being upset. <laughs> and, and there's nothing wrong with that. And, and right. if there was someone else who was, I it's so valid. But then when you hear someone who's, seeing it from multiple perspectives. And there was also this, the most challenging part of this book to read was when you talked about the encounters you were having while you were sleeping. Mm -hmm. And even in this, and I'll let you explain it, but even when I was reading through that, I was just like, how is Kerry even explaining this with so much compassion and so much grace? And I was like, you just have this capacity to hold pain and compassion at the same time. And I think that that is so rare and I just want to mm. acknowledge it and honor it. Mm. That's not a weakness at all. I think it's really powerful like to be able to do that. And when I was reading that, I was just, I, you were blowing my mind. I was just like, how is a human? Mm. I, I really find that, you know, you read about people who've gone through some of the most horrific things in the world and, and they live that way. And, and then, yeah, I was in awe reading that, honestly. Like, yeah, I... I think when I'm, as I'm listening to, I think the danger for me has always been in not having the anger part. Right. Right. That yeah. that's, it's funny. It's like I, the compassion comes more easily, <laughs> weirdly. I don't know if it's the people pleasing or the being an only child or whatever it is, the, maybe it's being an artist, but the compassion part comes first. The journey for me has been allowing myself to have the anger allowing myself to um, create healthy boundaries for myself, to allow for the pain Mm -hmm. and the grief at times, and then to still make room for the compassion. That's what I felt. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, To be able to like hold space for both. Um, And I I think a lot of it is selfish. I don't want to be a person who operates from toxicity. You know, when I'm, when I'm carrying, when I'm only operating from resentment, 
it's poison for me to hold space for loving myself and loving other people in all of our imperfection is for me what feels doable. It actually helps me have more grace for myself when I'm able to have grace for other people. And I I talk about that Pema Chodron Mm -hmm. idea of like the person that causes you the most pain. That's the person that sat with you in heaven before you came to earth and said like, I love you so much. I'm going to be the one that hurts you, that forces you to grow. I love you so much. I'm going to be your enemy that teaches you what love looks like. And I think... I think we are really, really all doing the best we can. And when, I, when I'm when i not able to have compassion, my life is like this hose, right? And the emotions are coming through the hose. If I choke the hose from compassion for somebody else, I choke it from myself too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, I want to let it run free. I want to I wanna let the goodness go through so that I'm able to give it to myself and others because mm-hmm. we're all really just doing the best we can. And that looks like a lot of different ways for a lot of different people. And it doesn't mean that in my compassion and forgiveness that I have to engage with everybody all the time, right? Like having healthy boundaries is also important, but I, I want to, I always want to leave myself open to grace because I need it for me too. Mm. Mm. I love that idea of how when we're choking our life or someone else of compassion, you're actually blocking it from yourself. Yeah. That's, but, and that's what I meant. I, it was not a naive compassion that yeah. I was reading of. It wasn't yeah. a, it didn't come across as a people pleasing or, oh, I'm just protecting. And, you know, it, it yeah. didn't, it didn't feel like that. It just really felt like a realized version of that. And that's even harder. I think some of that too, honestly, comes from the acting because you're taught early on that you, to play a character, you can't judge your character. Mm. Like when you're playing a bad guy, you can't think of it as a bad guy. It's what my some of my favorite stories and my favorite narratives are these like origin stories for the villains, you know, like Cruella and the Joker, like these these Mine stories. Too. I love that because yeah. I feel like it's really true that hurt people hurt people and mm. villains come from somewhere. And so um as an actor, you learn that when you're playing a character who does something awful, you better figure out why. Mm -hmm. You better figure out what it is that caused this person to make those choices because it's not going to be real if you don't do that. You're just going to be like some arch stereotype of a bad guy. If you Mm want to be a human being who's doing something awful, figure out the why. What's at stake? What is that person afraid of? What is that person needing? What is that person longing for? How was that person abused? and so I've I've had to learn compassion even just for my characters. Or maybe I'm drawn to playing complicated characters because I really love to cultivate compassion. I don't know. But it's definitely a part of kind of the culture of how I approach my life and my work. It sounds like you're such a you're such a seeker of the <laughs> truth in, in spiritually, in your life, in your work. What is it that you're seeking now at this point in your life? Like, what is it that you're trying to learn or be curious about? I think this next little chapter, which is like beginning right now, I'm learning to be in my truth publicly Mm. and to see what that feels like and what impact it has on me and my family because it's so new for me. I've been so private as a, you know, a person in the public eye. I've really not talked a lot about myself. 
So I'm really trying to be curious about what this experience feels like and and how it changes me. Mm. I'm curious about who my donor is. I'm so that's it feels like another part of the quest. But I'm also aware that that lack of information also feels like information. Like mm-hmm. the fact that the universe hasn't given me this answer of like, this is who he is. This is, it feels like an invitation to move into deeper relationship with the family I come from, my family of origin, right? Like that I have this new kind of truth with my parents, a different kind of truth with my kids, like telling my kids about, you know, my parents and how I came to be, all of that. Um, but also into a deeper relationship with like, like a spirit father, you know, like father time, like the archetype of father, like a heavenly father, like to lean into my connection to a higher power as bringing me those fatherly things, that sense of belonging and safety and um, being cared for, mm. that I'm I'm interested in this opportunity to cultivate that in my spirit world because I don't have it in the material world. Mm. I have it, but I don't have it fully. I have mm. these, you know, I have my dad who's incredible and wonderful and I have this mystery donor. So I, I have father energy, but there's a deeper security that I can seek, I think, in my spiritual practice. Mm. Wow, so beautiful. What What was your intention in your career to... Be, was it intentional to be private? And what are you hoping that the public aspect that you said you were seeking to figure out how it's, what what was the intention behind going in that direction? It's funny because it feels accidental. I mean, really, I've always, um, I decided at a certain point in my career, I had been in a very public relationship. It was very public engagement. And when that ended, I was like, I don't think I want to give this much information to the press ever again. And my husband and I were of the same feeling when we met. We were very private. The whole time we were dating, when we got married, people were like, what? Like, we didn't even know they knew each other. Like, very... And this was at the height of both of our careers. Um, He was, like, on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and I was on this hit show, and we wound up somehow having this very secret, private courting and marriage. It was so beautiful. Um, I remember when I called my parents to tell them I was pregnant, they were like, so you'll tell people like when the kid's in college? Like they were like, <laughs> I was like, probably. Um, so it just, it it has felt like um, a way to protect the people that matter most to me. But my parents have always been a part of my public identity because, you know, I don't, I didn't need to protect my relationship with my parents and they're not children. You know, I, I don't, I keep my kids off social media because I feel like they should make decisions about how they, and there are a lot of ways to do it. There's no right or wrong. But for us, I feel like my kids should be of an age where they know how they want to enter that social media space. I, I don't want to make those decisions for them. But my parents are old enough to make those decisions. So I kind of started posting more with my parents because I was like, I got to post something, right? Like, so I would post my dog and post my parents. And I was doing these dad jokes with my dad. And my dad became a bit of a celebrity (laughs) on my Instagram. And so then when I got this information, I was suddenly like, oh, I am complicit now in a lie. Because I'm out here perpetuating this truth that's not my whole truth. And so suddenly I was like... I didn't want to 
keep a secret the way my parents had kept a secret. I Because I don't feel like there's anything shameful about no. this. I don't feel like there's any reason to not talk about it. So part of the telling of the story was like, this is a way for me to be corrective and just not feel like I'm perpetuating a lie that I didn't even know I was lying when I was doing it. But now I want to just be transparent. So we'll see. I, I don't know. It's, it's very new for me to be this open. Um, but I guess I also just... There's a saying that we're as sick as our secrets, um, and I want to offer healing to my parents and to our relationship by by not having it be in the dark, by speaking the truth of our journey and of my journey in particular. One of the things that's been really wonderful about as I've shared the book with people is that people immediately tell me their family secrets. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like immediately. Mm -hmm. It's so funny. Mm -hmm. And so I've realized like all families have them mm -hmm. and people feel less alone when they read the book because mm -hmm. this person who has been so private and I really have kind of maintained a certain level of Hollywood, like this is who I am and I'll let you in only this much and to to let people in more to allow that level of vulnerability helps me feel less alone, but I think also has is helping readers feel less alone. Yeah, I believe that for sure. And I, I love that you, that's what's happening as a response to the book, because how beautiful <laughs> would it be if every friend who picks up this book and shares it with their friend yes. is now able to open up about something that yes. they've been holding on to. To let go of shame to and let to go. let go of secrets. And that's what I want for people to, and, and also I think it's important to see, to see where we are as a family, right? To know that we're closer than ever, that this revelation actually wasn't the fracturing of my family, that it actually was the birth of our true intimacy and closeness with each other. Mm. And for me, like a real beginning of a sense of like, I don't have to hide. I can now really do and be anything. Mm. It's so empowering to hear that. Yeah, it's very yeah. liberating. Very liberating Super is the right liberating. word, actually. Actually liberating yeah. Word. yeah, I think that's part of it too is like, yeah. If people find out that this is the real deal of how I came to be in the story of my family, like I wanted to own the narrative. I didn't want anybody else to be able to tell my story. I wanted to be able to tell my own story, to claim it and to have it and to know that it was mine, that it is mine. I'm still living it. This is definitely like act one. <laughs> there's there's more to do yeah, yeah. and be, but it's mine. Yeah, there's this beautiful line that you you say you were talking to your therapist about it and then you explain it and it says, when you teach a person to believe that their internal truth is a lie, you take from them the very thing that is most important to each of us, our ability to know and trust ourselves. Mm. And I can only imagine how much you trust yourself mm. now. So much more. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Atna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com forward slash healthier happens together. 
CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Atna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Whenever I travel, I feel like I become a new person. Like that time I explored the bustling streets of New York, I felt like I became Curious Jay. Immersing myself in the vibrant culture and sampling exotic street food. And then there was that trip to the mountains where I transformed into Adventurous Jay, conquering hiking trails and embracing the breathtaking scenery. And let me tell you, Booking.com has been my go-to for all my adventures. Whether I'm exploring the bustling streets of New York or venturing into the serene mountains, Booking.com has a wide variety of options, offering accommodations all across the US and all around the world that suit every kind of traveler. So when you're ready to plan your next trip and discover new sides of yourself, remember to book with Booking.com. Whether you're craving adventure in a cabin, a bit of luxury in a fancy hotel, some quality family time in a vacation rental, or just some chill vibes at a beachside resort, Booking.com has you covered. Ready to book your next adventure? Book whoever you want to be on Booking.com, Booking.yeah. Herbs hold a special place in my wellness journey, a tradition deeply rooted in my Indian heritage. Introduced to me by my mom, their healing properties have been part of my life since I was born. Growing up, I witnessed firsthand the remarkable effects of herbs on both physical and mental well-being. Among the herbs I take are ashwagandha for its adaptogenic properties, slippery elm bark for gastrointestinal health, our sponsor Nature's Way has these herbs and hundreds more that help support everything from healthy digestion to sleep to stress. They have over 50 years of experience with sourcing herbs from all over the world in the climates where they grow best. Every batch of herbs is rigorously tested for potency and purity in their state-of-the-art lab. Nature's Way believes nature is the ultimate problem solver and is dedicated to bringing the power of plants to help people live healthier lives. To learn more, visit naturesway.com forward slash herbs and use code J10 at checkout for our 10% off any herbal supplements. Terms and conditions apply, valid through June 30th. It's true. That's. I guess that's why I keep saying like I'm so curious about who I'll be on the other mm -hmm. side of this chapter, like once this is out there, because I do feel like I trust myself more now. I understand myself more. I trust myself. I feel stronger. I feel liberated. I feel like I have more capacity for compassion, more capacity to love myself, more understanding of myself, more capacity to understand and love my parents, and therefore more capacity to understand and love friends and other family members and my kids. If we are as sick as our secrets, then I am getting healthier and healthier every day, mm. you know? So I'm I'm grateful for that because I I want to offer that to my kids and to myself and to my parents. Yeah. We deserve that. You know, that's what this community is about. It's about health and happiness. And that's like to be able to know that truth can lead to that because sometimes the truth seems so scary. You know, it's not that my parents were being mean. They were afraid. But that you can walk through that fear toward a deeper healing in truth is is really what I want people to know. Mm. 
Can I ask a practical question based yeah. on what you just said? How did you talk about this to your kids? Mm. And because I can imagine that that's scary because it's a lot for them. Yeah. Because they're still young. But you know what? It's a lot It's a lot less scary for them because my kids have grown up in a world where half of their friends are born from surrogate moms or donor eggs or donor sperm or like they have friends with two dads, friends with two moms. Like they're not up against some of the like constricting conservative ideas of who families are and how they come to be that my parents were battling 40 years ago, 40 plus years ago. So it's a different conversation with my kids. It's kind of much more normal. I'm like a, I'm just like ahead of the curve. <laughs> um, but it's also very different. Like the conversation we had with our 17 year old was very different than the conversation with my six year old, right? Like super different. Um, and that's part of it is I, and in general, when it comes to this kind of like advanced information, we try to be led by their questions. You kind of like we offer them a little bit of information and then ask them what questions they have. Cause I don't want to overwhelm them with information, but I always want them to know that they can ask me anything, 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 anything. There's no bad answers, no wrong answers, nothing you can't ask. Um, and to, and that the door's always open. So, you know, like my 17 year old had more questions. My six year old had zero questions. <laughs> um, my nine year old had a couple of questions and then was onto the next thing. Yeah. But they, for them, it's not a huge deal. And also it's not a huge deal because fundamentally my dad is my dad. Mm -hmm. Like that's the big thing is that nothing has changed there. There's more information and I'm going to yeah. learn more about who I am and therefore they're going to learn more about who they are. But the bottom line is my dad is my dad and that's not changing. So they have that security. I love that. That's beautiful. Kerry, we end every On Purpose episode with a final five. Yes, but I want to ask you before we do that, is there anything I haven't asked you about that's on your heart, that's on your mind that you really want to share, that you want to dive into, that you want to talk about that we haven't covered today for whatever reason? And so I just want to give you the floor and ask you if there's anything that you really wanted to share. That doesn't have to be. Was it surprising to you how much time I spent in India? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, we should, and we should talk about that. Yeah, 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 sure. I... I had no idea. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, you've definitely been private because I feel like India is such a big part of my work and my heart and my spiritual yeah. home that I love when people have spent time in India. It's such a special place. Yeah. It lives so deeply in me. I, I really want to go back and I want to bring my family. And even my husband is like, I have to go because it's so much a part of you. Um, I do feel like... You know, when I talk about the street I grew up on, it's Pugsley Avenue in the Bronx. But I also feel like Kerala raised me. You know, it was the first place I lived when I left the cocoon of college, right? When I was really into like, college is over. You're like for real an adult now. You're on your own. And I walked into that in India, which is like the most magical of places. Um, so I'm I'm really, really grateful for that place. And I hope that I can spend more time there. How many times yeah. have you been back? Only only that one time. Oh, that was the only I've time about been. that. I didn't know. Right, right, yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. I would love to go back. Do you go back often? I go back every year. You do? Every single year. And where are you So based? I'll go to the ashram that I spend time in, you which do. is in Mumbai and then two hours outside of Mumbai. How long do you stay there? I'll be there for, it, it varies. Like this time I'm going for, I'm going to another pilgrimage this year in West India. Mm -hmm. And that's for around a week to 10 days. Mm. And then in January, I'm going back 
to the ashram that I was in for like two weeks. Wow. And so it, it varies. Sometimes I go back for three weeks. Sometimes it's been a month. And do you just like set aside that time a year ahead on your calendar? I try to, yeah. I try to make it a time that's always in and that it's a time to completely disconnect. So I mm. won't be on my phone. We prep content in advance mm, so that mm -hmm. I don't have to think about the podcast or mm -hmm, social media. Mm -hmm. I just want to be fully disconnected. Does your wife go or it's yeah, just she you? Comes oh, me. Yeah, she special. comes with me. Yeah, and it's really wow. fun. We love doing it together. Oh, that's so It's a beautiful. really beautiful way of just both of us getting a reset. And if anything, she makes us do it even more than I do now where <laughs> she's like, you know, she loves it. And mm. it's such a, we sometimes take our family, we'll take our parents. Really? Yeah, it's really beautiful for them as well. We just feel like, doing more spiritual things together as a family is just so deeply bonding in a different way. Mm -hmm, and it's mm -hmm. so important for our like connection. And yeah. so we find that taking her parents and mine is, is a big part of it. So, yeah. Is it hard for you to transition in and out of like when you get there, do you miss the secular life? And when you're, when you're leaving, are you like, okay, I'm done. Or are you like, Oh, I wish I could stay longer. I think one of the greatest, 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 skills that monk training gave to me was the ability to just be where I am mm. and be okay with it mm. and then move when it's done. Mm. And so I find that as long as I know why I am where I am and as long as I know it's intentional, mm. then I feel very grateful that I can wake up and just feel I'm where I'm meant to be. Mm. And I think that was all because of the way we were trained where you weren't nowhere was more home than anywhere else. Mm. And that's like a really interesting training because most of the time we're trained to be like, know where your home is, know where your roots are. But this mm. was almost like, well, if your roots were here, mm. then you were always at home. That if you were aligned here, then you were always centered and grounded. You didn't, you didn't need an external thing. Now that doesn't mean today that I don't like having, I love my home here yeah. and I love feeling grounded here. And yes, do I feel more happy when I'm here than in a hotel room, sure. Huh. But I don't feel I wake up without purpose in a hotel room mm. if I'm there for a reason or mm -hmm. when I was touring this year or mm -hmm. whatever mm -hmm. it may be. And so I think I look at purpose as my home or at least at least as a mindset and an approach. Right. So I feel like I can kind of switch back on and off. Fairly, I've never done please. a book tour before. Do you have any advice for me? <laughs> well, I'm excited watching your book tour. I was trying to join you. My my schedule is nuts. And I was, it looks amazing. You've got so many amazing guests I joining do, you. Like, I, do. I can't wait to hear the conversations that come out of it and the yeah. things that other people share. Yeah. I'm hoping you should ask every person to share a, seek, a family, family secret. Family secret. Because that'd be yes. amazing. You can't imagine the healing. But my my only advice, which I mean, you've done, you've been on set for months and you've tried, I mean, you don't need my advice, but for whatever it's worth, I, there were two things, the first, and one's external, one's internal. Oh, good. So the external is my health was my number one priority mm. because it's so easy to fall sick when you're traveling. And that practically, much. what did that mean? And practically that meant having a routine, even though it wasn't my routine here. Mm, having so a I tour slept, routine. Yes. So I mm. slept at 2 a.m. because I'd get off stage at like 10.30. Mm. I'd do a You'd meet and greet. Amped. I'd be amped. I'd eat at midnight mm. and then I'd sleep at 2 a.m. I'd wake up at 9 a.m. So I'd get seven hours of sleep. I'd then go on a walk around the city that I was in with my Wherever team. Or, you were. Yeah, with my tour manager yeah. or with my team, whoever's with me, we'd just go on a long walk, mm -hmm. get like 10 to 20,000 steps sometimes. Yes. Like just really get Love active. Yeah. And, and be in the place because we weren't really in a place for longer than mm -hmm. a night. Mm -hmm. So I was like, not that I wanted to see the city, but I was like, 
I want to be outdoors. I don't yes. want to be in a gym or, uh-huh, you know, I don't want to uh-huh. get lost That's in that. Great. So that was really great. And then I would eat breakfast at nine and then lunch at 12. And then I wouldn't eat again. And I would just, I was allowing myself to just be on stage at night. And mm-hmm. in the sense of like, I was like, I don't need to achieve more because I was starting off like being on stage. We'd start a meditation at 3, a, 3 p.m. And then I wouldn't get off stage until 10.30 and finish till midnight. Oof. So it was just like my nine hour workday started at, 3 p.m. And so allowing myself in the morning, I don't need to rush to meetings. I don't need to be on a million Mm. phone calls. I just need to focus on being present because then I can give people the best experience and and honor that experience. Mm. And so it was a very like disciplined approach. good. And and really to take it all in. Like I'm sure there's going to be tears. I'm sure there's going to be laughs. I'm sure people are going to want to hug you after this and share their story. And it's like, I look back and I think of like when, and it's what you were saying that as your life becomes more public, there's, as you know, better than anyone, there's, there's scrutiny, there's, there's criticism, there's whatever. I found that the love I got from my community when I was traveling was enough to keep me afloat mm, for all the times and all the other. It fills the well. It fills the well yeah. of all the other stuff that comes and goes. You get to see people's eyes and you get to see someone look into your eyes and say, this book, Changed this book's going to change my life. Yeah. Whatever. And people are going to say that to you. Like People are going to have their stories of what you've discovered and just getting to hear that from people and see people say it. People have been fans of yours for so long and you've probably never heard them say it in this intimate mm, way. People mm-hmm. have loved your characters, yes. not you yeah, that's so in true. this way. That's so true. And so just taking it all in and allowing yourself to be present with it. So the external thing is the discipline yes. and the health. And the internal thing is allowing yourself. I think sometimes we're so aware of like ego and worrying about whatever it may be and being modest. And, and I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to soak up all the love. Just take in all the love. Like whenever I allow myself to just really receive the love and I need it too. I need to be nurtured by love. Wow. Right? Why am I deflecting it or whatever? Just just take the love. Like it's so funny when you say that because when I was reading your book, which is just like a full-on study of love in all of its forms, I felt like in so many ways it was like my memoir is like your book in the wild. Like it's so many concepts that you talk about in terms of forgiveness or um, partnership or vulnerability. Like it's, it's, it's what I'm expressing of how I was grappling with that. Like if only I had had your book (laughs) when I was like 12 to help me walk through life, but it's really fun to, to see how usable your your book is so like it's it's so spot on in giving people what we need in life that's so reassuring thank you mm-hmm. i mean that i i could only dream of having it connect with a real life story as much as that because yeah thank you that that mm-hmm. means the world to me thank you mm-hmm. i really received that that's so special yeah yeah i you know just i mean i think that's that's kind of like the the perfect match in the world where we need, where it's like the, we need the human story of what it really looks like because it's messy and it's uncomfortable. And then hopefully we can all extrapolate lessons from yeah, it. Yeah, and get a toolbox. It's yeah. like, like if you get triggered reading this book, get Jay's book and then you'll have <laughs> they're, they're a toolbox <laughs> to help you grow and heal. No, and, and I would say the other way around. I feel like people need to see the messiness of what it looks like and and I don't shy away from that, but I think when you read about it and you see like, oh, this is what the uncomfortable conversation looked like. Mm. This is what the revelation looks mm-hmm, like. Mm-hmm. This is what the work looks like. Like, I think we need both sides because 
sometimes we have a romantic view of what growth looks like mm, and mm -hmm. what having the revelation conversation with your family looks like. And we know that that's not true. And right, so, yeah. right. And I and I would love to. I love how much time you spent in India for sure. I was I was definitely surprised. <laughs> what would you say? What would you say then in that regard? Was like obviously you talked about the gift of your yoga training. Yeah. You talked about the gift of. You re referred to it many many times. What was what was the, what surprised you about India? I think the thing that was most surprising and impactful for me about India was how drenched in God everything is. You know, like I grew up in communities where there's like a liquor store in every corner, but in India there's a an altar on every corner. There's just, you know, when you walk into someone's house, there's an altar, there's a puja room, there's a there's like you can't escape God if you wanted. The very way you say hello is like an acknowledgement of the God in each other. So that was really powerful for me in a time when I was really seeking God in my healing. And um, yeah, I just, I found it impossible to escape a sense of spirituality in India. And it's not an easy place, right? Like mm -hmm. people are not, it's not like everywhere you turn, everybody's comfortable and things are easy. So it is this combination of like, life is hard, life is vibrant and chaotic and like the everything's so pungent, right? Like the sense and the colors and the it's it's so filled with life, like real material life, and yet every single inch of that is also connected to God. Mm. And that I feel like is something that I try to live in my life. Like to live life fully, like out loud and big and in truth, and to go after whatever it is that the Dharma is leading you toward but to not have it just be for self or for material this life to have it be about god and with god and for god and that it feels like that's so much of what i learned there mm. yeah mm. well i mean i don't think i don't think there's any greater gift that a place <laughs> could give you that's pretty so spectacular special. yeah so special yeah and yeah. it's uh I, I'd love to show you my temple room afterwards. I yeah, would yeah, love, yeah. love that. Yeah, I would yeah, love that. Yeah, it'd be beautiful to show yeah, it to you. Like, that would be great. But no, I hope, Gary, this has been a serving and an offering to your mm. offering to the world. I, I really mean that because I really believe that this book for you is not a, it, it's not a celebrity memoir. Like, no. You know, and it's, it's, it's so no. much, it, it's so, it, it's so human and it's so, it's so truth seeking. And so I really hope that this has served you and served your offering in the world. And, mm. you know, I'm Thank I'm you. excited for everyone to, to read it, to connect with it, to share it with their family, share it with their friends and, and hopefully uncover, discover and recover from family secrets that may be holding you back in whatever way. Mm. And, mm. and being able to have the grace to hold the supposed paradox mm. with that. You know, compassion and empathy. Amen. Yeah. Amen. So Thank my, you. That's my hope and intention for for you and your book tour. And mm. I wish you nothing but so much impact. And can already see everyone smiling and the faces and the the lives being impacted and changed based on mm. the work you've done. So. Mm. Thank you yeah. so Thank you. much. It's yeah. such a privilege to be here.
Oh, I'm so grateful. I still have to ask you the final five. I oh, know, yes. Okay. I know you tried okay. to dodge them, okay. Carrie. I saw I know that. I should have prepared, too. I'm like you know such that, a fan. <laughs> I should have prepared. You distracted me. But I hope, yeah, I hope we got, okay. I, if there was anything else that you wanted to know. No, this but, was amazing. All right. My I wanted to make sure Lord. be honest yeah. with me anytime. Okay. So, all right. Question one, Carrie. Yes. What is the best advice you've ever received or heard? The best advice I've ever received or heard is to pray. Mm. When I learned to pray and meditate, to me, there's sort of two sides of the same coin, you know, like it's the talking to God and listening to God. Mm-hmm. You know, whenever in my life I'm reminded to pray, it's never a bad thing. It's always a path to goodness because it's always um, an act of surrender. Mm and an invitation to help. And the the act of prayer for me and of meditation is really for me about picking up a tool of humility. Mm. Because when I'm not making room for spiritual practice, it's like I think I'm in charge. Mm. And so the the prayer helps me remember and the meditation helps me remember to be part of something greater, to not be trying to control and run everything, but to connect myself to something bigger. What a great answer. We've never had that before on the show. What did, how did you learn how to pray? And for anyone who struggles with prayer because they think they have to have the perfect words or they don't know where to start, yeah. like what would you suggest for someone? It was part of um, my first time I ever got on my knees really to ask <laughs> something greater than me for help was when I was really struggling with my eating disorder stuff, which I talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that was the first time in my life that I was like, I can't fix this. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I do not have the tools and I don't know where to go and I don't know what to do. And I'm going to need somebody or something to step in and help me out. Um, That was my first experience with prayer. And then there's a really beautiful book. I think it's one of the most important books that I've read in my life called The Artist Way by Mm -hmm. Julia Cameron. Mm -hmm. And that book taught me a lot about bringing spiritual practice into my creativity and into my life as creative practice, but prayer through journaling. And I think there's no wrong way to pray. And honestly, I my prayer looks like all different kinds of ways. Like it, I think like any relationship, my relationship with spirit is always evolving and changing according to where I am. And, you know, sometimes it's like sitting on the pillow with the candle and the incense is like, that's it. It's just like sometimes date night is like that perfect, elegant five-star, you're dressed up, he's in a suit, it's a whole, right? Like sometimes the ritual is that. And sometimes it's like, I'm in my car, I'm at the red light, I'm like, all right, God, like I'm going to need you to step in and, you know, take this day on. You know, sometimes it's just singing gospel music. Sometimes it's doing some sun salutations. Sometimes it's like just saying, God, God, only God, 107 (laughs) times in a row. Like whatever it is, it can be, it can be so many different things. Sometimes it's just swimming, but that just making room for seeking other, something greater than me. Beautiful. What a wonderful. Do you pray with the kids? And we do at night. We do um, at night. We do prayer requests and gratitude together as a family. I yeah. love that. Yeah. That's so special. Yeah, it is really special. It's really fun to watch them. What do the them. kids come up? Yeah, what is they? It's great. You know, you never know. I mean, sometimes it's like, they're, sometimes their gratitude is really profound. Um, I'm grateful that a grandparent is feeling better or 
Um, I'm grateful for this family trip and time with cousins. And sometimes it's like, I'm really grateful for pickles. And you're like, <laughs> what? Okay. You know, like, that's cool. Yeah. That too is God, right? Yeah, so like, yeah. it's really, it's fun. And and also the the prayer requests, it's, it's just our kind of family way of remembering to think outside yourself. And sometimes the prayer can be for yourself. I really hope my ankle feels better. I really, but it's also a way to remember mm to include other people in your mm. seeking, mm. you know? Beautiful. I love that. All right. Well, that was just question one. So. Yeah, I know. <laughs> question number two. What is the worst advice you've ever heard or received? I think about this book that I talk about in my book that I like stole from the library when I was a kid that was called A New You. That you missed the due date. Yes, I missed the due date again and again <laughs> yeah. and again and again. Um you know, this idea that it, it appears in like magazines for young women and it, there's this messaging out there that to be loved, you must be something other than who you are. Mm. You know, that to be loved, you have to be prettier and you have to know what colors are right for you and you have to know how to sit and how to walk and how to stand. And um, I'm all about being, having good manners and being appropriate to a situation, but the idea that you have to be un somebody other than who you are to be deserving of love is messaging that was is damaging. I think mm. it was definitely damaging for me and I think for a lot of people. Mm. Yeah, and that's and it gets so ingrained. Yes. And it sounds so obvious, but it's it's not and it and it's so subtle and so, so hidden. Su yeah, I mean even from a young age when you hear kids saying like I need those sneakers or else I'm not going to be cool, like it's these messages, these I think consumerism has a lot to do with it. This idea that you must have that lipstick or that mascara or that facelift or those pair of jeans or whatever it is in order to be good enough. And um, it's just not true. Mm. It's just not true. You are lovable. And by the way, love sneakers, love lipstick, yeah. love mascara. Like you can have those things, you can play with those things, but but the idea that to do the, you must do those things to be lovable, to be worthy. That's where um, the wrong messaging yeah. gets implanted. Yeah. To, to quote TikTok, I don't know if you've seen this new TikTok, which I love. <laughs> and it's, and the, 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 the sound is telling you how to dress to impress a man. Oh, I and love that one. one you yes. Know what I'm about? yes. And like everyone's like doing the opposite. Yes, it's so it's great. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So great. It's yeah. Great. yeah. I haven't done that one. I, I should it. do that one. Yeah, I someone I saw someone do it with their daughter the other day. Yes. Like, oh, God, it was so cute. So and I was good. like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's really cool. So yeah. anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, but that that idea definitely. I love that. Great answer. All right. Question number three is how would you define your current purpose? My current purpose is to hold space for my scary truths and other people's scary truths and to create community in that. Mm. That's really powerful and that's amazing. I think that's yeah. it for now. It sounds like a good one. <laughs> for Q4. That's the purpose yeah, for Q4. For Q4. I'll get back to you. Yeah, purpose for every quarter. Yeah. 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 I love that. I love that. It's so nice to put into words though, isn't it? It's yes. just like even to think about it, it's like, yeah. yeah, that's great. I love the answer. All right, question number four. We talked about what you're trying to learn now. Is there anything you're trying to unlearn? Is there any mm. beliefs that you're trying to unlearn or values or ideas? I think I'm working to unlearn the belief 
that I am not enough. And I think I'm working to unlearn the belief that I am less important and less deserving. Where does that still come from? Where's that? Where's that hiding? I think there is, you know, when I think about the word sacrifice and that sacrifice does come from sacred, right? And and I think for some reason as an only child as a as a young person, I understood that there was something sacred about sacrificing my own need or desire or truth even to make space for someone else's journey. I've placed so much value on other people's sense of joy and goodness and safety that I've been willing to sacrifice my own sense Mm. of joy and goodness and safety. Mm. And I don't regret it. I think it's not wrong to care about how other people feel and want to do what's right for other people. I'm just learning to let myself be one of those people, Mm. right? To include myself. It's not like now I want to do whatever I want to do and to hell with whoever it hurts, but it's like, I need to be as important as the other people I'm considering Mm. that I deserve that. That's new for me. Yeah. One of the greatest lessons I think I've tried to learn is that, again, the world is trying to do either or. So some of us think the answer is just take care of yourself. Who cares about what anyone else thinks? And the opposite is, well, just sacrifice, just serve, just surrender and give yourself over to everyone. Mm -hmm. That's the greatest gift. And something that I've learned that has really helped me is that actually taking care of myself in order to serve others is the complete picture Mm -hmm. that taking care of myself is not selfish if my intention and reasoning is so I can go out and do more, give more, Mm. be more for others. But I can't do more, give more and be more for others if I'm giving everyone the leftovers of... Mm. That's right. I have to give from my overflow. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And similarly... I've also learned that Mm. sometimes giving to others is a way that I can be giving to myself. Absolutely. Because I can, like my giving to others can be how I build hope and community and belonging for myself. Mm. There can be this dialogue between the two. So just to not forget myself in the equation is so important. Yeah. And that when you give to someone, I also notice it this way that when I give something to someone, often I feel like I'm the one doing the giving, Mm, mm -hmm. but actually the fact that there's someone there to receive it. Mm, It's such a gift. It's a gift because if there was no one for you to give your gift to, Mm -hmm. then it would feel incomplete. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that even someone has a challenge, an opportunity, a moment that you get to give something to someone we have to see that good for ourselves, that's like, right, that's as opposed right. to this feeling of like, oh, I, I did this for all of that's you. Right, you know? That's like, right. That's yeah, right. That's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, that's mm-hmm. beautiful. I love that. All right. Fifth and final question, which we asked to every guest, you should have practiced, Kerry. But if you could create one law oh, that's right. that everyone in the world had to follow, oh my God. what would it be? Take your time. One law. Your answers so far have been world. fantastic. 
A plus plus for everything. Oh God, oh God, so much pressure. <laughs> One law that everyone in the world had to follow. I think it would be required compassion and empathy training. Mm. When I think about all of the like ills of society, all of our kind of social evils come from us not being able to care for each other. Mm. You know, when you even when you think of like really mentally ill folks, mm. that it that they're there is, I don't want to say that because some of it is biological, but there, I feel like there could be so much pain mm. that's avoided. We could stop so much transfer of generational mm. pain and mm. suffering. We could prevent so much abuse if we could just give people empathy and compassion training. It would impact how we legislate, mm. how we interact with one another, how we um, how we care for each other in society. I think we need that so badly mm. right now in our families, in our schools, in our businesses, in our government bodies. We just need so much more empathy and compassion. Mm. I love that. Yeah, that's beautiful. And there would have to be a special chapter on having it for yourself too. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Everyone, the book is called Thicker Than Water. I have it right here. Kerry Washington, a memoir. Make sure you go and order your copy. We'll have the link in the comments and the Yay. caption. So you can go and grab your copy right now. Kerry is also going on tour. So if you don't Yay. have your tickets yet, make sure you go and grab your tickets to see her live. She's got phenomenal guests joining her as well. So make sure you go and check that out. And of course, please, please, please tag Kerry and I with moments of this episode yes. that resonated with you on and Instagram, we'll repost on and respond. Yeah. And, yeah, please let us know what really stood out to you, what you're going to practice. Maybe you've been inspired to share something with your family member, maybe to ask questions to your family as well, to understand more about your origins and where you came from and who you are. So I hope you're leaving this feeling empowered, liberated, and strengthened in your pursuit for truths. And again, I want to thank you, Kerry, for your generosity, your openness to share your vulnerability and this new friendship that we're yes, building. I'm so uh, excited. I'm very grateful for. So thank, thank you. you Carrie. Thank, thank you so, so much. Thank you. thank you. What a treat. If you love this episode, you'll enjoy my interview with Dr. Julie Smith on unblocking negative emotions and how to embrace difficult feelings. You've just got to be motivated every day. And if you're not, then what are you doing? And, and actually, humans don't work that way. Motivation, you have to treat it like any other emotion. Some days it will be there, some days it won't. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Atna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. 
To see more, visit cvshealth.com forward slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.